Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, where my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Paul Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by Molka Sports. You can find them at M-A-L-K-A sports.com. Another great guest lined up for you this week. Did you know that young Brian Berger was a tennis player? I'm a big tennis fan, dating back to the days of McEnroe, Connors, Boris Becker. Some people said I look like Boris Becker, but... Patrick McEnroe is going to join us on this week's show, ESPN tennis commentator and the host of the Holding Court podcast. He's going to discuss season two of his podcast and the well-known guests that he has joining him. The possibility of his work with ESPN shifting to virtual instead of being on site at major tennis events. His work with brother John McEnroe on the John McEnroe Tennis Academy in New York. He also discusses his relationship with his brother, and he's got some great stories with his brother, John McEnroe. So that's coming up on our show today. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I am good. And anytime we can talk tennis, I'm like you. I'm a big tennis fan. My wife played through high school, so we've uh, always loved it and love the McEnroe family. So anytime you can have McEnroe brother on, hey, it's a win. And he was on in the early days of sports business radio. You'll hear a story at the beginning of my conversation with Patrick that we tell about that interview with John back in the day. But uh, yeah, I love listening to the McEnroe's call a tennis match and they just have such great chemistry, obviously, because they're related, but they work together. And really, when you're looking at kind of the state of tennis, I don't know that there's anyone better on the men's side of the game to analyze that than Patrick and John McEnroe. Oh, yeah. I mean, they know the game so inside and out. And like you said, with broadcast crews, chemistry is such a big deal. And when you're brothers and you know the game, you both played it. I mean, it's just they, they know what they're talking about. They have great, great insights. So it's fun always to watch and listen to them. All right. Before we get to the Patrick McEnroe interview, let's get to some headlines. Here's a story that took place this week, and some people may have missed it, but it's going to have ramifications. I think we're going to look back on this 10 years from now and go, wow, that might have been the deal that shifted things from broadcast to streaming for sports rights. AT&T announced on Monday that Warner Media and Discovery are merging to become a new company that will immediately become one of the largest U.S. media businesses. The new company that AT&T is spinning off is Warner Media, which owns a variety of major media properties, including CNN, TBS, TNT, Warner Brothers, 
HBO, and then Discovery owns the Discovery Channel, Animal Planet, TLC, the Food Network, and various other media properties. AT&T will receive about $43 billion worth of cash and debt securities as part of this deal. But you know, you look at the sports angle on this, TBS and TNT have big-time rights, NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball. You look and start wondering, is Discovery going to start streaming some sports? Uh, you know, Will Warner Brothers and HBO Max start streaming some sports and put it on with HBO Sports? So I think it's going to be interesting to watch this closely, Griggs. And you know, anytime you have two major giants merging, it's worth paying attention to. Oh, for sure. And, and like you said, I mean, with Discovery, you get the whole other side of it, you know, Animal Planet, food, all this stuff, home and stuff. And then you got the sports with Warner. So, I mean, they literally have everything covered now in an HBO. I mean, yeah, I think, like you said, another step forward in everything going streaming and, and we'll see what sports can do. I'd love some HBO sports. Yeah, I, I would, too. All right. Another big deal this week, ESPN and Major League Baseball announce a seven year deal. It's going to go through 2028. So MLB continues on ESPN. That's been a good partnership. Sunday Night Baseball, the wild card round will also be exclusively on ESPN. So those two continue to dance together. It's worked out well. Uh, Marv Albert is going to be retiring at the end of the NBA playoffs. Griggs, almost 60 years behind the mic. Yes. That was my really bad Marv Albert uh, imitation there. But, uh, you know, Marv is one of the soundtracks of my NBA childhood. And he's called a lot of games. And, you know, it's going to be different without Marv behind the mic. Man, I just every time I hear his voice, I think of the Jordan days when I was a kid growing up through Jordan's run and just magic and bird. And man, I love it. You know, the Knicks with Pat Riley and John Starks and Pat Ewing, like you just that's to me where I remember his voice the most is is like the Knicks when they were good with Pat Ewing. But you're right with with Jordan, the NBA finals, that seems to be the thing that sticks forward too. Yeah, I mean, he's iconic voice 60 years. I mean, obviously a no brainer Hall of Fame in the world of broadcast. He's he's a stud. It's going to be he's going to be missed. But uh, man, great years of, of broadcast. All right. And then lastly, the NBA and NHL playoffs are underway. Griggs, first time that we're seeing an NBA play in. What do you think of the play in format? You know, um, it gives a little different twist. I'm not sure I'm a huge fan of it. I'm gonna. I'm looking forward to watching tonight and tomorrow. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll, I'll be interested to see how they do it, how it handles, how the teams play, how they show up. Uh, but hey, it's it's NBA hoops, so I'm watching. Well, there's two things the NBA has to be thrilled with. Number one is all the games at the NBA at the end of the NBA season meant something, right? Like on the last day of the season, there were four Western Conference teams who were literally playing for where they were going to be seated. So it came down to the last day of the season. What you don't want is teams sitting their players, tanking, you know, trying to get that lottery position. All the games meant something until the very end. So that's good for the league. And then the other is, I don't know that you could have asked for a better play-in game than Wednesday night's Lakers-Warriors game. LeBron and AD versus Steph. I think Steph is the MVP of the league this year. Sorry, Nikola Jokic. But that is going to be must-see TV on Wednesday night. And, you know, the team isn't eliminated who loses that game, but it's a really important game. Oh, yeah. Cannot wait. And interesting to see, too, because LeBron's playing in the play-in tournament that he says, you know, the guy that invented it should be fired. So got a little karma going against him on that one. But definitely Steph hands down the MVP. And then what do you think of the NHL playoffs so far? There have been some overtime games, and that's off to an exciting start. 
always is. I love NHL playoffs. It's uh, sad we don't have full capacity crowds because the NHL crowds are amazing. But uh, yeah, I mean, you get overtime games, you get shootouts. It's always fun. I'm always watching NHL. All right. Coming up next, we're going to talk some tennis with Patrick McEnroe, ESPN tennis commentator and host of the Holding Court podcast. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hey, everyone. Sports Business Radio host Brian Berger here. The wait is finally over. Sports Business Radio merchandise has finally arrived. We're working with our friends at the Parish Project to provide you with the opportunity to buy really quality Sports Business Radio merchandise. We've started with long sleeve t-shirts and short sleeve t-shirts. They come in five different colors, each a variety of sizes. I love my shirts. And soon... We're going to have hoodies to offer as well, hooded sweatshirts. I know a lot of you are wearing hooded sweatshirts while you're working from home these days, but whether you're working out, just lounging around the house, or doing whatever you're doing, you can rock Sports Business Radio merchandise. I think you're going to love it. Go to parishproject.com. That's P-A-R-I-S-H project.com, parishproject.com. And you can order your sports business radio merchandise today. We appreciate your support. And uh, send us your best picture. Tweet it to us at SB Radio. Or also you can get us on Instagram at Sports Business Radio. We look forward to seeing you rocking that sports business radio merchandise. My guest is Patrick McEnroe, former pro tennis player. He does a fantastic job covering tennis for ESPN. He's the host of the podcast Holding Court, which can be found on iTunes. Season two is now available. You can follow him on Twitter at Patrick McEnroe. Patrick, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm good, Brian. It's great to be with you, and I appreciate you having me. So I've got to start off one of the most memorable moments in the 17-year history of sports business radio is we had your brother John on years ago, and he joined us from his hotel room in Paris, Okay, and he said he had his guitar with him, and he did a live rendition of Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix on the show. He's pretty good with the guitar and the singing. Um, What do you – I mean, I've heard – Stories of him where he went on stage with Santana. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, he, he. what is it like being brothers with John McEnroe? Well, the guitar playing's, you know, not quite at the level of the tennis playing, but you're right. He's he's not bad. And, uh, you know, I had him uh, as my first guest on season two of my podcast, Holding Court. So he just gave me a great idea, Brian. I got to get him. If I get him to get the guitar out, I mean, you could go on forever. He loves to strum the guitar. You know, he did that a lot when he was first on the road traveling. I mean, back in the day when he started traveling and playing on the pro tour, Brian, I mean, there were no big entourages. He traveled basically by himself. Vetus Garolitis, you know, became one of his best friends. May he rest in peace, Vetus, who died way too young. But Vetus taught him about the guitar, showed him the guitar. Vetus was a pretty good player, um, taught him about museums and going to look at art. So he got really into music and art as well. Um, so very eclectic. You know, I wish I could play the guitar. I can't say that I can. He has gotten me up on occasion, Brian, at some senior tennis events when he can go up on stage with the band and have me sing a few tunes, a few Rolling Stones tunes. So we've had some fun. I like to do that. But, um, 
definitely he's a little bit better still, even with the tennis racket. All right. So this is what I want to hear on the Holding Court podcast. I need some John McEnroe guitar and I need some Patrick McEnroe singing. Can we can we make that happen? <laughs> we could definitely make that happen. So he's going to be on once a month with me, which I'm really excited about. I'm going to be doing two per week. One is on the on Tuesdays that will drop. It's more of a tennis specific podcast. So he'll join me once a month for that. I'll do a recap of what's going on in the tennis world, on the court, off the court business and so on. Then Thursday, I'll have a special guest. So I've got a great guest, a group of guests lined up already for season two. Kristen Chenoweth, a big Broadway star, a couple of big time rock singers, Seal, of course, who had huge hits back in the day, Gavin Rossdale of Bush. These are guys that I met over the years, Brian, at sort of pro celebrity type tennis events. So a lot of these uh, uh, friends of uh, sort of friends, acquaintances of mine, I've gotten to know through tennis. They just absolutely love tennis are obsessed with tennis. Then I got some other people like Michael Imperioli from the Sopranos, not as big of a tennis guy, but a great sports fan and a New Yorker. So it's a little potpourri of guests. And I also have some sort of more traditional tennis type guests, Andy Roddick, James Blake, for example, I recorded a couple episodes with them and they're fantastic. And I try to focus with them obviously on their careers, but a little bit more on how they got into tennis, what it was like growing up, how they got started in tennis. I did a bunch of those last year with Yvonne Lendl, Martina Navratilova, Chrissy Everett. Found those fascinating and uh, really, really fun. I love that you're doing a podcast because let's face it, you have access to great people, right? Tennis world, musicians, podcasts allow for deeper conversations. Walk me through your process as a podcast host. When you're getting ready for a podcast, what does that process look like? Well, I usually spend uh, uh, at least a few days, if not more, you know, reading up on my on my guests. If I don't know a lot about them, most of them I have a decent feel. But there's been a few that I didn't know a lot about. A guy named Pico Iyer, for example, who's an author, a sort of world famous travel author. And so when you learn about these people's stories, that that to me is what's the most interesting for me as a host and as someone who's maybe not in that same world as some of these people. Uh, Dean Carnassus, who's the ultra marathon guy. He lives out in uh, Northern California. He ran uh, 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 states. Wow. Okay. Back in like 2008 or something. He's about my age. He's mid fifties. So remarkable people. So I always try to obviously read up on them. But what I really like to do, Brian, is I like to, if they have done any live interviews, you know, you can go to YouTube and you can find interviews that they've done. So I find that um, obviously you get to know their personality a little bit when you can see them on screen and hear them, but, you know, pick up a few nuggets, a few tidbits about what they've done. And I think people, look, I appreciate it when people know a little something about me when they interview, you know, they know a little something about my past or what I've done. And so I think that makes a big difference in making your guests feel comfortable, making them feel relaxed and, uh, you know, hearing about their life. Cause that's really what the podcast is about. If tennis becomes it can be a big part of it, what their life is like with Seal. Like he just loved to talk about tennis, comparing it to being a musician, getting up on stage. Others, you know, they like tennis, but not necessarily a huge part of their life. So then I kind of move away from that and more into, you know, what they like, what they, how they see the world in their profession. How is hosting your podcast different than your work for ESPN? Because there's a lot of prep that goes into that as well. Well, it's, a, it, it's very exciting for me because, as I said, I get to learn about different um, t- subjects, different people, different topics. So I love to read. I love to educate myself. 
uh, I love that part of, of, of doing the podcast. Obviously in tennis, that's my life. I mean, I've been in tennis my entire life since I was a little kid. I, I've been lucky enough to make a career, you know, once I was finished playing tennis and broadcasting and coaching and working for the USDA, now working with my brother, his tennis academy, doing, you know, I did my own radio show for a couple of years. It actually wasn't about tennis at ESPN New York and ESPN radio. So that was my first taste into hosting my own show, Brian. And, you know, I've dabbled in that on ESPN. Obviously I'm, I'm a color guy, but I learned how to do play by play. I learned how to host a studio. So I always like to push myself to try to do other things, get out of my comfort zone. And in the podcast, I feel like I'm able to use those skills that I've learned over the years. And I also just really enjoy the conversations. I think I'm a good listener. I like to listen to people and hear what their story is about. And if I intertwine some of my own stories, my own past, I do that when I think it's appropriate. But for the most part, I want it to be about my guest on that particular show. I had Mary Carrillo on not so long ago. <laughs> and we talked about calling events remotely now. Right. It's kind of become the new normal. Um, do you see that becoming the new normal? I mean, you're someone who travels all over the world calling the Grand Slams. And um, from what she tells me, it may be the new normal. What do well, you first, think about? Yeah, first of all, Brian, uh, I mean, Mary Carrillo and the McEnroe's go way back. I don't yes, know. Yes, I know. No, I know that. That's why I brought it up. I, yeah. And I interviewed her for my podcast and she's she's just amazing. I mean, incredible storyteller. Agree. That's, that's what's made her so great on TV over the years. I mean, she knows tennis inside and out. But what made her unique in broadcasting is her ability to, you know, get the story behind the story about the individual or whatever it may be. So uh, she was awesome when I had her on. Uh, and so she's 100 percent right. I mean, obviously, we covered the Australian Open this this year uh, from Bristol, Connecticut, the headquarters of ESPN. Now, we made it work. It, I think it worked pretty well. We were lucky to have great studios in, in Connecticut at ESPN. Um, the truth of the matter is you can pull it off watching it on a screen if you have good technology and if the camera angles are good. I mean, I started out in my career, Brian, when I first started ESPN, you know, well over 20 years ago. We did a lot of the European events from Connecticut. So I, I got used to doing that very early in, in my career. And this was ES, when ESPN was not as big as it is now. So they were, you know, dabbling in tennis. And but it's when ESPN made the move as a company to get into the U.S. Open in Wimbledon that they really started to spend some money on the production side of tennis. So I've been lucky. I've, I've run the gamut with ESPN. Um, if we happen to be doing a lot more events from Connecticut, I mean, we'll do what we have to do. Certainly you miss being at the event, the energy of the crowd, the energy of the environment. And uh, let's be honest, it's a perk, Brian, to go to, to Melbourne in January every year when it's the middle of winter here in New York to go to Paris like we did for many years. We're waiting. We're actually having a call very soon to discuss our plans for Wimbledon. So I still think that all things being equal for Wimbledon and the U.S. Open, if we're allowed to be there for, for COVID reasons and for health and safety reasons, I believe that ESPN will send us there. But for the other events, I mean, I think it's definitely up in the air. Interesting. I want to talk a little bit more. You brought up the Tennis Academy, the McEnroe Tennis Academy. The growth of tennis, the state of tennis, especially in the United States. You know, I see Serena is going to be retiring probably pretty soon. Roger Federer. Um, and I'm looking at some of the stars that we've had of the last 20 years. 
right. and what's coming next. What is the state of tennis right now, and what are you seeing at the academy? Uh, well, this is, that's a, that there's a lot of um, uh, lot to unpack. Yes. There. Yeah. Let me start by saying, Brian, that um, the pandemic, COVID, has actually be ve- been very good for recreational tennis. In other words, mm-hmm. people want to play for fun. Uh, and go out to the club because obviously it's an easy, easy sport to play distance. So I actually been on the court teaching, whether it's kids or even adults of all, all uh, levels and ages um, more than I ever have in the last year and a half, which has been a lot of fun for me. So that's number one, that the tennis business uh, clubs, parks, and so on have done very well. In fact, the USA released a report about a month ago. I think tennis playing, um, was up 25 to 30%. Tennis and golf both had a little bit of a bump, right. particularly tennis. Um, so that's number one. Number two, the professional uh, game obviously is struggling through COVID because tennis relies more than almost any other sport on the daily gate on ticket sales. So that's affecting the professional game. As far as the American game, we have a plethora, Brian, of young, middle-aged and older for tennis players like Venus and Serena, female tennis players. I mean, from all different backgrounds, all different shapes and sizes, different skill levels. I mean, we're absolutely loaded on the women's side and we'll continue. Yeah. Will we have another player like Serena? No, not. I mean, nobody will. Serena is the greatest of all time. We have a bunch of really, really good players, top players. Sophia Kennan, who won the Australian Open, got to the finals of the French. I mean, there's countless young Coco Goff, you know, really talented players. Now, on the men's side, it's a different story. Why? I'll give you a fairly simple reason. It's a little more complicated, but essentially it's this simple. In European countries, which dominate particularly men's tennis, women as well, but we're in the mix in the women's game, the most popular sport in most European countries, second or third most popular is tennis. Mm-hmm. After soccer, you've got basketball in Spain and France. You've got ice hockey in the Eastern European countries and skiing. But for the most part, tennis is right there, two or three. In this country, I don't need to tell you, Brian, working as you do in the sports world, tennis is not in the top five, maybe lucky to be in the top ten. So what does that mean? That means you have a great young athlete. Let's say they're a boy or a girl. They're six, seven years old. They're super talented as an athlete. And if you're a parent and you're thinking, okay, I want my kid to maybe, you know, they're that good. Maybe they could be a professional. If they're a girl, tennis is a sport where you can make it and make big money. What other sport can you make big money as a female athlete? Maybe golf, but nowhere near as big as tennis. I mean, now, I love the fact that women's sports are blowing up, whether it's soccer, whether it's lacrosse, whether it's basketball, and so on. But those, those, as great as those athletes are, they don't make a lot of money in the professional world. Now, in tennis, if you have a boy – that's five or six years old. That's a great athlete. It, 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 tennis is not going to be high on the list that you're going to put them in unless you have some sort of connection. You have a parent. You have an older sibling. You just happen to get lucky like we did living up in Douglas, growing up in Douglaston, New York, in Queens. And there was a little club down the street from our club. And my brother John happened to play soccer, basketball, football. And he happened to be unbelievably gifted as a uh, as an athlete, but as a, someone with hand-eye coordination, and we just got really good at tennis, you know, at a young age. So the bottom line, Brian, is we don't get the pick of the litter of the athletes that are boys. 
like they do in a lot of the European countries. I mean, if Rafael Nadal grew up in uh, Alabama, okay, or Georgia or Texas, mm-hmm. Flo- maybe Florida, because that's kind of a big tennis state. But you know what I'm saying? Like, he'd be scooped up to play basketball or football in a heartbeat. Novak Djokovic would be an unbelievable basketball player or a soccer player. And uh, just so happens that these guys got into tennis. So we have to do a better job as a country of finding those kids, getting them into tennis at an early age, because to be a top level professional tennis player now, particularly on the men's side, Brian, you need it all. You need to have the tennis skill, the tactical skill, the mindset, the heart, but also incredible physical tools, not just hand-eye coordination, but incredible speed now as well. So we get that on the girls' side, on the women's side, we struggle finding that full package on the boys' side. Like golf, there's always been the uh, association with tennis that there's a, a barrier to entry. It's expensive. Yep. Do you think that's one of the reasons that we're seeing in the United States like you just said with the boys, especially that there aren't as many tennis players in this country because of the cost and the barrier to entry. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, and, and, and getting to your question about our tennis Academy, the John McEnroe tennis Academy. I mean, we have an Academy that's a for-profit business, but we also have a big part of it. That's a scholarship business where we raise money through events uh, BNP Paribas, for example, sponsors a big, you know, gives us a big chunk of money to help those kids that can't afford to play tennis, that can't afford to pay for the court time, for the coaching, for the travel, for the fitness. So, there, so we we're trying to do our part, but you know we're one academy in New York City, which obviously the cost of living in New York City is is higher than many places like Florida, like parts of the South where you see a lot of tennis players play, like Southern California. You know, there's tons of parks, there's tons of places to play in in the warmer parts of the country where it's not as expensive. It's still expensive, but it's not as expensive. So I think you see uh, more diversity coming because of that in other parts of the country. Now, we have a lot of diversity at our academy, but a lot of the diversity comes because we're able to scholarship a lot of those kids in with the kids that can pay, you know, that live in New York City, that go to private schools and so on. So we have a nice mix. But there's no doubt that overall to become a high level, forget about professional player, high level, uh, high level junior tennis player, you need a lot of resources to be able to play the tournaments, get the training, get the coaching, and then get on the road and play tournaments. All right. I've done my homework on you. You have three daughters. Yes. Two are dancers and one, Victoria, from what our mutual friend Mike Nakajima tells me, she's a pretty darn good tennis player. So, well, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm learning a lot about the junior tennis right. world in, in the last few years through her, um, although she hasn't been able to play much, unfortunately, for the last about two and a half years because of injuries, believe it or not. One wow. to her back, which was a stress-related type injury, which re- she recovered from pretty quickly. And then the ankle has been amazing. I mean, like two years, she's been off and on ankle, real problems. She actually finally had to have a surgery an arthroscopic surgery just a few months ago. So I'm hoping that she'll be able to get back to, you know, she was at a very high level as a 12 year old, which doesn't mean a whole lot other than it's fun and you, and you travel and you go to tournaments, uh, which obviously I do with her. So I got a real taste of what junior tennis is about. I mean, obviously I, I played it, so I remember it, but it has changed. I call it 
it's not just in tennis, Brian, but it's all over sports, the over-professionalization of youth sports. You know, whether it's if you play soccer in your school, you get on the travel team, you've got to sign up and go to, you know, all these tournaments. You've got, you have to go to practice four days a week, you know, to be on the team. And, you know, everybody does it. Lacrosse does it. Tennis does it. Basketball does it. You know, youth basketball. So there's the positives in that and there's the negatives. The negatives to me has become, you know, an economic engine for a lot of people. I got to include myself in that running a tennis academy, right? We want our kids to come, oh, come three or four days a week instead of two days a week, you know? Uh, but the other side of it is that you need the balance. Now, the truth of the matter is that kids that make it to the promised land of being professional tennis players have to play more than when we were kids. Maybe they don't have to, but they do. Um, they have to train more. The game is quicker. The technology has made the game quicker and faster. So, I, I mean, people are amazed, Brian, when I tell them when I was a kid growing up, even through high school, I didn't play tennis. I mean, during the fall, I played on my soccer team at school every day. And I played tennis on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. My brother did the same for four years of high school. So obviously we played a ton of tennis and when the weather got nice and in the summer, we played all all summer, but now, now, now you've got kids playing, I mean, minimum five, six days a week, minimum and multiple hours a day. So you've got to balance that reality of becoming a high level player because that's kind of what's necessary for most kids without burning out, obviously, and, and keeping your interest in the game and doing other things. So my daughter luckily has other interests as well. The injuries have been in a way a blessing because it sort of forced her to you know, not go just all in on tennis. Um, she's a great student. She's a great girl. I just hope she can get back to playing, you know, at the level she was at, enjoy it, and then use it hopefully as a platform to help her go to a great college and play in college. I have a 16 year old daughter, uh, not elite athlete, but plays sports. It's amazing to me to watch these parents who think I've got the kid that's going pro, whether it's tennis, golf, right. basketball, football. Nope. My kid's going pro and you see him push the kid. And I've interviewed Mark Emmert, who is the president of the NCAA. And he right. talked to me about the burnout of college athletes. And a lot of them after their freshman year, they're done because they've yeah. been brought up to get that scholarship and right. to succeed at an elite level. And they're so tired by the time they're done with their freshman year that they, they burn out is a parent and someone who runs an Academy. Are you seeing kind of the, the too heavy handedness from the parents or has that gotten better? Well, we try to educate them. I mean, obviously you're correct. I mean, many parents think that, uh, you know, their kid's going to be the next John McEnroe, you know, Serena Williams. So uh, I try to educate them as much as I can. Uh, I, I, every time I see a kid playing, I want to see if they're learning something, you know, if they learn something. I used to say it was all about having fun. I've sort of changed my tune a little bit. Obviously I want them to have fun, but I feel like if kids are learning, at whatever level they're at, they're learning something, they stay engaged and they then have fun. So obviously you want to, you know, you, you don't want to just make it fun all the time. You want to make it challenging and, and, and something that's educational from a tennis, even from a life standpoint. So we try to, you know, I, I, I try to meet with the parents. I try to talk to them when they haven't been able to be in the Academy much in the last year and a half, which in a way has been good for the kids, by the way, you know, because a lot of the kids, when we do our, our group sessions, you know, the parents all sit on the balcony watching, 
and the kids are looking up at their parent and they're reacting and, you know, they're making, I mean, I make Brian, when I'm watching my daughter or playing with my daughter, which I do a lot. I mean, I, I'm literally like straight, like I don't make a move and she'll like, dad, why are you making that face? I'm like, Victoria, I'm not making any face. I can see your eyes. Like when I missed that shot, you were like, and I'm like, I'm, I mean, I'm trying so hard, right. To not, not do anything. So when I see parents, go, you know, they go like this and right. Um, you know, that's, this is not healthy for, for them and, and for the child. So we try to do our best. I mean, you know, you have to understand that people, people have different ways of parenting and, you know, I try to leave, look, I try to lead by example as, as best if I can. I'm not perfect, obviously, but uh, we try to do our best and let the parents know that if the kids are learning, the, you know, the, here's the bottom line, Brian, having been at the Academy for now, I've, I've been there about five years. It's 99% genetic. Hmm. I mean, that's the reality. If you're going to you know, talk about who's going to make it, hmm. who's going to make it to the, that's why when my brother's out there and he's like, how could they miss that shot? I'm like, John, they're not you. Right. Okay. Like to us, even me. And I, you know, I wasn't his level, but I was a you know pretty good pro sure. player. And so when I compare myself even to the kids, I'm like, wow, like I could do that. Like so easily. Why? You know, well, you know, okay. I played by myself against the wall for hours and hours at the Douglaston club where we grew up. Uh, but some of it's genetic. I'm not genetically gifted to run super fast. For example, I'm not that fast. I'm reasonably quick for a tennis player, but you know, you put the ball in my, you know, I'm going to hit it pretty much in the center of the strings almost every time, you know, and that's just, a, that's, that's when I see kids, I could see kids play like four or five hours a day. And for some of them, that just ain't going to happen. For, for some of them, it does. They, they, they get it over time. So you need so many things have to be right to make it in, 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 in even as a high-level junior player, but to make it to a you know, big-time D1 college, that's even difficult. And then to become a pro and make a living playing, I mean, that's a whole other animal. All right, your daughter, Victoria, speaking of genetics, does she have the temperament of you or Uncle John on the tennis court? <laughs> well, she she has a little more of her uncle okay which can, which can be a good thing you know she's got she's she's pretty intense um she's very uh driven in whatever she does whether it's school or you know learning the piano which is not her favorite thing to do but she takes piano lessons and does different things but she's she, she's i would say she's a little bit too much of a perfectionist on the tennis court um so I try to, you know, have fun with her with that. But uh, she would say that I don't know what I'm talking about. You know, Dad, you don't know anything. What do you t- you don't? How could you say that? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard about tennis. Now, life, I understand. I mean, your daughter's 16. So you get it. You know, I go up to her room. She's like, Dad, why are you here? You know, but when it comes to tennis, you would think, you know, you might want to listen to a few things I say, because I kind of know a lot about tennis. Right. Um, so she's somewhere in between. She's pretty feisty. But again, it's been really hard for her because she hasn't been able to compete really at her level for over two years. So I, again, I'm just hoping that she can get back. She did tell me recently that she's really enjoying her tennis more than she did before. I think she's appreciated a little bit more hmm. uh, to be able to play and, and to hopefully get back to where she's not even thinking about her ankle. So that's, that's our goal for this next uh, phase of her junior tennis career in the, in the next six to 10 months. Just a few minutes left before I let you go. Your wife, Melissa, is a very famous Broadway actress. Broadway's been shut down. That industry has changed a lot in the last year. Hopefully they're coming back. But 
how has that impacted your family and, and her? And, you know, I know you said, uh, well, I said it, but you have two of your daughters who are kind of going that path. Yeah, they're into they're into ballet. They go to pretty intense uh, ballet school in New York City, you know, four or five times a week. That's another mm-hmm. thing that's super intense. So yeah. you know, that takes a lot of commitment, a lot of time, a lot of physicality and, and, and mental strength. They're just 12 years old. So luckily they have each other. And, and they sort of feed off of each other. But that's also tricky for twins. My wife's business, I mean, the Broadway world, I mean, forget about slowing down. How about shutting down? Oof. I mean, it's just been, it's been amazing to see what's happened. And, and my wife is uh, an incredible woman, is so smart, uh, talented, and she's worked really hard in the last year plus to do live streams, learn how to use the computer. I mean, we've got microphones everywhere, but we turned one of our, like we have a small little guest room in our house. We turned that into like a studio with the latest mics, you know, the, the green screen. So they, she filmed the musical. They did a musical and everybody filmed it in their house. Wow. And, and she's done multiple things on, on Instagram. She's done a live, uh, like a talk show about how do we keep on singing? which has been really cool. She did a cooking show. Um, she's written a bunch of pieces for the New York Times. She's a budding writer and journalist. So I'm, I'm trying to get her to focus on writing that book because I know she's got that in her too. So she's kept really busy during this time. But boy, in her world, she's been doing in the last five to 10 years since we had young children. She really hasn't looked to be in a big Broadway show because of the time commitment. So she's done a lot of you know cabaret type shows performances with a pianist and with a small band. I mean, that business is just totally done right now. Hoping we're starting to see things percolate a little bit, that things will start to happen again this summer. But she had all sorts of of, uh, concerts booked all over the world. Paris, London, Las Vegas, San Francisco. Everything stopped and everybody in her business, um, you know, just basically looking for what's going to happen. Not to mention all the people, you know, the makeup artists, the costume designers, the people who make the sets, the people who work backstage. I mean, when you drive, Brian, as I do often through Broadway, because my kids go to dance school right around there, it's it's totally bizarre. I mean, you drive past, you know, Wicked and, you know, the Book of Mormon. And I mean, and you go there. I mean, it's, it's a team. It's totally desolate. Wow. So we're all hoping and praying that, uh, you know, this vaccine, which seems to be obviously making inroads, especially here in New York, that things start to reopen as they're doing. I actually went to the Yankee game, believe it or not. Nice. For the first time I went out, they, they actually won, which has been shocking considering how horrible they've been so far this year. A 3-1 against the Braves. They still didn't hit, but they got a wild pitch and a walk late. With a, uh, it was a one-all ball game in the eighth. But just to be in the stadium, right, to be outside. So they're, they're going, I think, up to 33% now capacity, hoping it's 50% soon. And then we hope by the end of the summer with the U.S. Open comes around, could we get to 100%? Tennis, tennis desperately needs it. Yeah. All right, last question for you. Uh, season two of Holding Court is out now. You've already recorded a lot of these, I'm assuming. Yes. Um, who are some guests that you'd love to have on the show? Are there, are there people, you know, I, I have my running list of people that I'd like to have on this show. Do you have a list of people either that you know or don't know that you're like, I want to have them on my podcast? 
Well, I'm still trying to get Lars Ulrich because uh, okay. the, the drummer for Metallica. Because yeah. you know, his dad, well, his dad was a, a really good professional player named Torben Ulrich, and he and he was an incredible. He's still alive. He's like in his early 90s, and he has a long beard. He was a lefty, and he played this stylish type game from from Denmark, and he became a really successful artist. And a jazz musician he was. That's how Lars got. Lars was a very good junior tennis player. And obviously because of his dad is how he got into music. It became this, this superstar. So I'm still holding out hope that he will come on my podcast because I want to, I've talked to him about him, but I'm also very interested in his dad, Elton John. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I participated in a lot of events with him because uh, he raised money for for AIDS back in the day through World Team Tennis, who was very close, still is, I think, with Billie Jean King. So I, I would love to get him on as well. I've had some great ex-athletes on um, that became big tennis players. I've had Steve Nash, the coach of the Brooklyn Nets. Yep. I want to get him on. I had him on actually with Dirk Nowitzki together. Oh, that's and great. Dirk, Dirk was a big-time junior tennis player. Right. Um, growing up in Germany. And, t- and I said, why did you go to basketball? He goes, well, to be honest, I was like six, nine at 13. And, I, and they gave me the trophy. And the other guy was so little, you know, he goes, I, I, had, I started to get a complex. I want to be around people my own style. I said, Dirk, I think you made the right call. Yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah. So some other, you know, Joe Dumars, we were dating ourselves now, was a really good tennis player. I didn't um, know that. And I want to get him on because he was always a classy, you know, basketball player. And just a classic guy. I hit with him a long time ago at a pro celebrity event. And I was like, wow, this guy can play. Like, I'll tell really you another guy, play. too, a uh, basketball guy, that tennis player not a lot of people know, is uh, Clyde Drexler. Hall oh, really? Yeah, you know, I met, yeah. I met Clyde, actually. Um, that's a great call because I met him in Houston when I was a Davis Cup captain. We went down there for a couple Davis Cup matches. I mean, he could not have been nicer guy. Yeah. So that's a, I hadn't thought of him. I didn't realize he was – like a big tennis player. I knew he was a fan. No, he's right, big. Tracking, he plays a I'm lot. I'm tracking him down, man. Clyde the Glide. That would be awesome. That's great. Well, I look forward to season two of your podcast and many seasons to come. Patrick McEnroe, find the Holding Court podcast on iTunes and wherever you find your podcast. Catch his great work on ESPN and follow him on Twitter at Patrick McEnroe. Patrick, thank you so much. Brian, you're too kind to have me and uh, keep up the good work, man. I love what you do. Thank you. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.